Hello, and welcome to Relevant Tones. My name is Austin Williams. You just heard an excerpt from our guest today, Elijah Daniel Smith and his string quartet, Submergences. From orchestral compositions to multimedia and interdisciplinary collaborations, Elijah's affinity for dense and complex textures, rhythmic ambiguity and fluidity, and rich gravitational harmonies shines through all of his creations. Elijah's creative endeavors extend beyond the realm of traditional concert composition, including interdisciplinary work and commissions from multiple dance companies and choreographers throughout the United States. His ability to realize his own dynamic multimedia visions was cultivated by his experience as a recording, mixing, and mastering engineer for his own studio music, film scores, and electroacoustic music. Elijah, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Um, how's it going? How's, uh, how's the East Coast? Things are things are good. The East Coast seems to, at least like here, seems to finally be cooling off a little bit. So I'm not quite as belligerent when I walk outside. <laughs> so that's that's nice. If it makes you feel any better, I think we had our first school weekend in Chicago like last weekend. So it's uh, it's it's kind of crazy that it actually took that long to to yeah. get to fall. <laughs> Yeah, nothing like a nice existential crisis to start my season, you know? Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Um, So we've brought Elijah on the show today um, to talk about a a very large premiere he has coming up with um, Chicago Symphony Orchestra. We're going to get into that um, in more detail later. The uh, first of all, um, I was approached by an ambassador from um, Chicago High School of the Arts, and they just um, I, and I'm curious as well. Um, let's let's talk about a little bit about your background, um, what your experience was at that institute, and um, and, and how it got you pretty much to where you are today. Yeah, um, I grew up in Chicago. Um, I first kind of got into music when I was a really young kid. My mom played piano when she was in college and she was a piano major for a little bit. And so we always had a piano in the house and she put me in lessons when I was really young um, and I hated them. Um, (laughs) So I very quickly said like, you know what, I'm going to do something else. Um, So music kind of went on the back burner. I got into guitar when I was around 10 when my sister introduced me to metal, um, Mm. which is, you know, I think a common thread for composers, surprisingly. Um, (laughs) And then then ended up uh, sort of stumbling into uh, singing because my mom thought I was going to kill my voice screaming in a metal band and she was probably right. Um, So high school came around and I was at Lincoln Park High School uh, to start. Um, And then I had heard about Shy Arts through a few friends um, who were at the school and I immediately knew that that's where I wanted to go. So I uh, wanted to apply for guitar, but they didn't have any openings. Mm. So my mom basically was like, all right, well, you might as well apply for voice, you know, the worst they could say is no. And I was like, all right, fine. So I auditioned on voice and I miraculously got in. And, um, once I got there, I realized that the program was a classical voice program. Mm. And at that point in time, I was like, all right, well, I'm here. Like I might as well give it a shot. Um, and at that point in time, like I couldn't read music. I didn't Mm. understand, like, I didn't know anything about music theory at all. Like everything, all of my musical experience had just kind of been through the guitar and like learning tabs and stuff like Mm. that. Um, Mm -hmm. So the school gave me the entirety of my foundation. Um, and because the program at Shy Arts is kind of like, it's basically a college curriculum for high schoolers where we took five music classes every semester. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and you know you have rehearsals for productions and all these different opportunities that pop up left and right um so the school got me into into taking music seriously essentially and once the band that i was playing in split up after my sophomore year i decided to give classical voice a go um Mm -hmm. obviously that's not what i'm doing now so i eventually found composition but if it wasn't for shy arts um i definitely wouldn't be pursuing music in the serious fashion that i am today i yeah honestly not entirely sure what i'd be doing but yeah i uh, i know it wouldn't be this <laughs> um so it's it sounds like you got a, like obviously a very good foundation there and then how did the transition into more like experimental or like new music um happen or like and even more to the point like how did you how did the transition away from like folks uh working on vocal stuff into composition yeah um well when I, I first got to college, I went to University of Illinois and I um, auditioned on voice and my freshman year was at University of Illinois for mm-hmm. voice. And it was pretty, um, pretty quick into the program there that I realized that singing wasn't really what I wanted to do. And also that that particular program just wasn't a good fit for me. Um, after going to Shy Arts where we had so many music classes every semester, mm-hmm. when I got to U of I, it kind of felt like... Um, well, I was, you know, because of the way the program is structured in your freshman year, you know, you've got your gen eds and whatnot. And I was taking fewer music classes at U of I than I was at Shy Arts. And that just sort of didn't make a whole lot of sense to mm-hmm. me. And it just wasn't um, what I was hoping it would be. And also I wasn't thrilled about singing. So pretty, pretty early on, I decided that I wanted to do uh, something else. And I had been writing music sort of on the side for a while. Um, one of my high school teachers uh, gave me a copy of Sibelius 4. And that was the first <laughs> time that I'd ever tried to like notate music or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so once I... Um, got that i sort of started writing music and it was always sort of a a thing on the in in the background and i never thought about taking it seriously until um i was at university of illinois and i realized that i was spending more time writing music than i was practicing sure Um, my teachers loved that oh Um, yeah yeah but so uh (laughs) i realized i realized pretty quickly that you know maybe what i want to be doing right now is composing so i decided that i would rather be going to a conservatory um something that i thought Mm -hmm. was going to be a little more um focused uh so i applied to transfer to the boston conservatory and got in nice Um, yeah so i think that story is pretty common i myself went into music uh, music undergrad um uh, as a bass performance actually i was an education major that lasted two weeks um (laughs) literally and then uh (laughs) and then i switched to a, a bass performance and then um Similarly, I just found myself more fascinated in writing and um, spending more time focusing on. Um, well, actually, like for for me, it was a lot of like I found myself self transcribing a lot of stuff and then um, going from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like you know, on top of that, in high school. Um, I personally don't know of any sort of composition programs for high school aged kids aside from like summer workshops and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's something that just kind of isn't really on many people's radars um, when you're at that age. And I know that for me, I didn't even know that like being a composer professionally was something that people still did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I feel like it, it took me getting to college to realize like, oh, that's something that you can do. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're getting your PhD now, which is amazing. Um, and you have a CSO premiere, which is also amazing. 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, congratulations. Um, I remember you, you uh, mentioning to me that it might be a thing, and I was just like, "What?" <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm stoked. I'm I'm really happy for you that it came through. Thank you, yeah. So how did um talk talk about that? Speak on that. Like, what's what was the how how did this come about? Like, yeah. Yeah, um, so Jesse Montgomery is the new Mead composer in residence at uh, the CSO, and so she handles all the curating for their Music Now concert series. So okay. she wanted to start this first concert off with... Um, uh, she, the concert's being called Homecoming, and it's uh, basically composers that have a strong tie to Chicago. So it's sure. me, Ted Hearn, who I believe is also from Chicago, and mm-hmm. Natalie Rosham, who's been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's, um, you know, she sent me a text one day, and she was like, hey, do you have any chamber music you'd like to hear again? And I was like, well... Yeah, you know, of course. And, uh, you know, it wasn't for a while that I realized what it was for. And, you know, she was able to sort of um, give me the details. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's um, it's all it's all through uh, her curating. And I'm super excited to see the rest of the rest of the year, because um, beyond this concert, I'm not entirely sure what's happening. But uh, sure. I have no doubt that it's going to be some some pretty awesome stuff. So what was your work about? You know, I, and I, you know, you don't have to be explicit about it. You can be as detailed or not detailed <laughs> as you want. Cause I understand yeah. like, um, pieces don't always have meaning. Um, at least I find that with myself. So you can certainly, yeah. you know, yeah, I think, you know, for this piece it was, it's one of the only pieces that I've written recently that doesn't necessarily have like an explicit emotional meaning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, for most of us, when we're writing pieces sort of take on an emotional meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what happened here. But my, my goal at the outset of the piece was to sort of write something that, um, alludes to like a concerto grosso from the Baroque or maybe like a concerto for orchestra. Um, okay. and a, a piece that sort of got me thinking about this was Bartok's concerto of orchestra, mm-hmm. specifically the second movement, because, you know, he's just mm-hmm. going around the entire orchestra mm-hmm. and showcasing each instrument and instrument family and sort of thinking about like what, you know, firstly, what even is a concerto for orchestra? Cause that term just seems kind of, you know, oxymoronic mm-hmm. to me to start. Um, but then, sort of saying like, all right, well, here are some, here are some ways people have tackled that concept in the past and here's what I'm going to try to do with it. So for this piece, um, it's three movements and each movement tries to focus on a different subgroup of the ensemble and, mm. um, you know, sort of bringing out things that those instruments can do, uh, that nothing else can. So, yeah. What was it like writing this work, knowing that it was, you know, going to be, a on such a large um <laughs> like scale or for, have such a large um i don't know what the audience attends is gonna be i'm assuming it's gonna be large but like you know the, just everything about it is so grandiose what was yeah. what was that like <laughs> Yeah, um, it was pretty, uh, at first it was definitely really daunting and it took a while for me to get out of my head because I think yeah. for like a, a, for a substantial portion of it, you know, it's sort of like paralyzed with indecision because knowing how, you know, that this is definitely the biggest thing I've ever done, sort of thinking about like, oh man, like how do I, how do I even start? Um, but then finally sort of getting to a point where I had to remind myself like, you know, like you're, you're doing this for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you know what you're doing, you've written pieces before, you know, you know how to handle this. So yeah. just yeah. sort of getting into rhythm of just kind of like, you know, what, like write a piece, write, yeah. the, write a piece that you like, write music that you know you'll like, and then, you know, then figure it out from there and sort of trying to remind myself that 
are trying to actively not think about who I'm writing for in terms of their status, but sort of just think more about like what it is that I'm trying to write on a purely musical level. I'm familiar with a few of, uh, of your other pieces, which um, we'll we'll get to one specifically later. But the other one that's um, standing out to me, um, it's a string quartet of yours, and I'm trying to remember it's um, it's the one that's on uh, Score Follower. Is that uh, submergences? Submergences. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I think that that you know that string quartet is probably one of the more challenging pieces I've written for some of the most you know uncommon reasons which is just like you know I remember the players were like our hands start their hands start cramping up at a certain point like I feel kind of bad about it but they also did a fantastic job so yeah. it's like you know um but I mean <laughs> you know so like that you know even back then just thinking about like does difficulty in terms does difficulty from the player's perspective necessarily translate to something that sounds difficult because you know yeah. going back to the idea of like a concerto for orchestra or something like that it's just like what what is virtual virtuosity so it's just like mm. looking at these pieces you know looking at at you know what it is what like if i'm writing a piece that i'm going to think of as a concerto it's just like do i need to make this flashy does right. it, does me writing something hard for these players translate to something that people are wowed by and why why you know is that something that i would even want to do so i sort of decided that instead of going the route of like making something hard to play necessarily from an individualistic soloistic standpoint um make something that is kind of challenging from an ensemble perspective yeah um and hopefully, you know, the players are obviously world class. So it's, you know, the how exciting it is to hear an ensemble play something that you, that you know is really difficult and to hear them like pull it off pristinely is it, I, I think that's one of my favorite things about seeing orchestras or you know, yeah. symphonias. The So the other end of the spectrum of the music um, that you work on, you, you work largely in electronic mediums as well. It's, that seems like... Um, I don't want to say you keep them separate, but there, there seems to be a, a category of your works that are for acoustic instruments and there's a way you write for that. And then maybe there's, there's a process, different process for the way you approach electronic music. Can you actually, I'm curious about the, maybe when you synthesize the two or when there's moments where you see the two influencing one another, um, yeah. and how that um, comes about. Yeah. I've actually, uh, I, you know, I do, keep them largely separate for the most part, I think not necessarily deliberately, but I'm not sure that I've really had, um, an occasion to bring them together just yet. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm working on a piece right now for solo sax and electronics. Um, and that's being done primarily in logic actually, rather than, you know, uh, max or something like that. But mm -hmm. I think, I think I got into, you know, modular synthesis, pretty, um, aggressively during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think my reason for doing so originally was like, you know, I wanted to learn about it so that I could, you know, have a way of thinking about music differently and sort of approaching sound as an entity a little differently. Yeah. Um, and I think it was probably anybody who's ever done anything with modular synthesis could probably have told me from the start, like, you're going to, you're going to start and then you're not going to want to stop. Yeah. So that's exactly <laughs> what happened. So, you know, um, I, uh, sunk a lot of money to it. Um, and probably sounded like a, you know, 50 sci-fi score in my room for a lot of the pandemic, but, um, yeah, it just sort of, um, <laughs> I think, I think the way, um, working with modular synthesis, uh, the way the instruments kind of force you to, to work, um, 
it forces you to think about music differently. And yeah. I'm someone who's definitely notation based and has been notation based for a long time. And working with this, it's just like, you can't even like there, there, there isn't even a language there for that yet. So it's just like, you, you got to start with the, the most fundamental building blocks and build out from there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a, it's a rabbit hole or a, you know, a dark hole that you can fall into, uh, very easily. And then you find yourself either on the other end or maybe coming back out for a bit, but you, you're on the other end and you're, you know, all of a sudden working with acoustic music again. I, I truly believe that it fundamentally changes the way we perceive how sound is generated, how it's manipulated, the way it, like, I, I find myself visualizing sound so much more now than I ever did before, just on the basis of like, oh, this is, you know, I'm just thinking of the envelope of like, you know, any sound I hear, I'm like, oh, that's, that was the attack decay, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
Yeah. Uh, no, I think about just any sound that instruments make now, it, it truly has a shape to it. You, you, once you work within a medium, specifically a, a medium where you're generating sound, even subtractive synthesis is, you know, really great for taking a sound and shaping it. And that, uh, for me, which was, I think like most people, that was my first introduction to any form of synthesis or electronic music or generating music that way. Um, and then you can kind of reverse engineer it from there with additive or modular. So, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, orchestration is one of the things that I think I get most excited about compositionally. And I think Mm -hmm. working with synthesizers is kind of, you know, it, there, I, weirdly, I think of them as similar concepts in the way that you approach, you know, texture. Yeah. Where it's just kind of like, you know, if if I'm dealing with acoustic instruments, it's still this idea of like, all right, what is my end goal right now? What do I want this to sound like? And I feel like working with modular synthesis is a very similar thing where it's, you know, there's obviously a lot more room for experimentation because no one's going to finance a six hour experimental orchestra session for me. But, you know, I can. <laughs> not yet. Can not just, yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll talk to you in about fifty years, and I'll, I'll let you know how it's going. But, uh, yeah, but um, you know, I think I think working with modular synthesis, it definitely has given me the opportunity to think about, you know, like okay. I mean, I I've also just learned more about sound in general, the physics of sound, and things along those lines that I sure. think really helped me out from an orchestration standpoint, and uh, has really helped me just kind of approach my um, concert music with a little more intense when I'm like, you know, it's like, why did you put that there? And before I would have been like, oh, it sounds cool. But now it's just kind of like, (laughs) it sounds cool and here's why. Right, Um, right. So, you know, yeah. It, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things you learn um, and we could really go down the rabbit hole of it, but it, it, um, I mean, I mean, even just taking the, 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 the harmonic series, like, and being able to break that down, which is like yeah. a lot of synthesis one Oh one. Um, yeah. yeah. And that really plays it, you know, and that's, I think of it similarly too, as far as like with like orchestration, you know? Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, orchestration is really just organizing different timbres. Right. And, yeah. you know, and that's, that's generally what you're doing. It's, it's a cool, it's, it's great to be able to kind of have that at your fingertips in a way and really being able to explore in your own terms. Yeah, absolutely. So the work that I'd like to feature today on the show is um, your percussion work, uh, Shifting Ground, that was premiered by Sandbox Percussion. Um, I remember AU telling me about this piece and me being stoked about it, but then I remember them posting snippets of it on the uh, on their Instagram and also thinking, Dan, this is, uh, is going to be a really cool piece. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, congrats on that. Um, and Thanks. then second of all, uh, what was it like working with Sandbox Percussion? You know, it's funny. Um, I still have yet to meet any of them in person because, oh. you know, this, because this all happened during the pandemic. But sure. it was, it's, it's great because, um, you know, they I sent them the piece like... I think in like April of 2020 and didn't really hear anything. So I was like, all right, you know, maybe this just wasn't the piece for them. And then, uh, I think like the Monday before the concert, cause it was premiered, um, on so percussions, uh, 
No, no, it was, they, they had their own concert and they, they put it on there and, um, they sent me a message on, I think like Monday and they're like, Hey, um, do you have time to hop in on a rehearsal, uh, for this piece? Like tomorrow. Oh, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like yeah, like, I, you know, absolutely. Um, and you know, get hopping on a zoom call with them. And I think it was October and they just in that immediately like going on zoom, uh, they sounded phenomenal. Um, that's wild. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it was a, it was a really, you know, crazy experience that, you know, it's like here walking into a room of incredibly well-rehearsed musicians or like virtual room, whatever, um, who have, you know, really kind of nailed, nailed a piece that you have yet to really hear, um, in that capacity. So it was, it was, it was actually, it was, you know, amazing to hear them play it. Um, and they did an incredible job and then they recorded it again, Mm. um, a little while later and, uh, they, I think my, it, they had an oxygen tank cause it's open instrumentation. Um, mm. oh, and so okay. one of them was playing an oxygen tank and I was like, man, I gotta do open instrumentation with percussionists more often. That's uh okay. So that's uh, literally one of my comments was, um, and this probably speaks to that is I, um, when I was listening to it, I was like, Oh, this is like really pragmatic programming for like instrument wise for like percussion. I was like, good. F- I was going to applaud you for that, but it sounds like they, <laughs> <laughs> they might've they might have chosen the orchestration for it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, yeah, it, the piece was originally written for, uh, like empty bottles. And I think okay. in every way it works out better not being played on empty bottles. Cause I think okay. that sound alone, would just get really tiring on your ears over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, but because this was happening during the pandemic, I was like, well, you know, like the, the bottles, the, you know, what I was going for is the contour of the sound. So I just kind of said like, you know what, I'm going to change it. I'm going to give them some parameters and find some things and objects that you guys think work within this parameter, sure. uh, within these parameters. And I don't think I would ever be able to get away with writing a piece and, you know, asking for a, like a, an oxygen, an empty oxygen tank. You yeah. Know? It's like, what, like, am I going to ask me to like rob a hospital or something? Like that's the most like Stockhausen thing I could put in the score. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But yeah. you know, they found that and like, they asked me and they rehearsal like what do you think about this and i was like honestly like even if i hated the sound i would want it to be in the piece anyway just because that's such an odd thing to just have in a video it's like hey check it out oh yeah Here's that's drums. that's pretty that's yeah. super sick <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
Uh, no, leave it to percussionists for being like incredibly crafty and very like yeah. impragmatic in their own right. Being like, yeah, well, this yeah. sounds pretty much the same way as this. So, you know, yeah. just, just make it work. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's, that's really funny. I, I didn't know it was open instrumentation. Um, but, uh, but on that note, like I, you know, just the, the shifting, um, I mean, it's called shifting grounds, but the, the, the shifting metric patterns and metric modulations too. Um, I think that was, it's very organic. It's not like jarring. Um, and it's, it's something that I, you, it's very danceable in a way. Like I, I found it like pretty groovy when I was listening to it. And I know you've written a good amount of dance music, um, where where do you find yourself do you do you find yourself thinking about that when you're writing you know is something is like a groove or like you know yeah um i usually actually try to avoid grooves um, unless i'm like being very deliberate about it and like my cso piece actually has like kind of like a a a bit of like a wonky groove in there where it's just a groove with an added eighth note just because you know why not Um, sure but um with this piece it was the first time that like, I really, you know, I was writing for percussion and like, who doesn't love like a really rocking drum piece first. Right. So I was like, all right, well, you know, I, I love that aspect, but I'm not trying to just sort of make a rocking drum piece cause there are a million of those out there. So right. I sort of asked myself like, you know, what, what is a, a, what is something I can sort of do to this groove to throw it off a bit? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of said like, all right, well, you know, if I'm trying to throw off the groove, why don't I just literally introduce a new groove over that one yeah. and see like how, and see how it feels to just kind of be like, uh, you know, snapped into something else. So, yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a rhythmic counterpoint, um, thing. I can't remember if that's like a Steve Reich term or something like that, but mm-hmm. I've read some academic paper, yeah. but yeah, 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 it's, it's that really, it's that interesting, you know, polyrhythms and metric modulations, but there's a certain, um, you know, or it's a, the composite rhythm is probably the better way, but really creating unique composite rhythms or like unique, uh, polyrhythms or is something that, um, a, I think you accomplished in this piece and B is, uh, can be overutilized or can be very tiring after a while. And when done tastefully and done for like, I don't want to say for like an appropriate amount of time, but for like, you know, <laughs> you know if, if the, if you're not bombarded with it as a listener, then yeah. you're, then, then it's feels, like I said, the whole piece feels very organic. Like I'm not, yeah, I'm, it doesn't yeah. feel like I'm trying to catch up with like what's going on. So yeah. Yeah. And like, as much as I love thinking about all these concepts and music and academic things and all this sort of right, stuff, like, you right. know, that's why I'm getting a PhD, but I feel like when writing this sort of stuff, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the listener hears it first and that, that you can, yep. you can listen to the entire piece without having to sit there and analyze it and kind of ask yourself, why am I listening to this? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, with this piece is, you know, nerdy and detail oriented as I'm sure we could get about it. My, you know, when I wrote it, I was like, I just want to write a piece that people just think is kind of fun and groovy to listen to. And then, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe we can dive into some like, you know, conversations about like metric modulation with those of us who want to do yeah. that to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you mentioned you originally wrote it for glass bottles, which I think is a really interesting concept. Um, what was any kind of ultimately nixed that, what would you say is like one of the more challenging moments of writing this piece or where, where was maybe some, something <laughs> you struggled with? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the more challenging things back when I was still planning on writing it for glass bottles, um, was acquiring the glass bottles. Cause that meant that all of them had to be empty. So, yeah. um, 
that was a challenging part and it, t- it took a while to amass them because I wasn't trying to go on like a you know five day long bender for, for, <laughs> for art's sake um, but so it, uh, it took a it took a minute to, to get all that together and then sort of organize them and then also kind of ask myself like okay if this piece is ever going to be performed again I can't reasonably ask an ensemble like hey can you guys um, just go get absolutely torqued for a few days yeah, right. so you can play my piece like I can't do that so um, you know and that's why I say I think it really ended up working out in the end that it wasn't for um, uh, glass bottles and the and you know uh, I think and it really was just a practical decision because it was the pandemic and yeah. and Sandbox was talking about doing it and you know it's kind of like you know whatever just like play it on play it on whatever like I'm not married yeah. to the idea of the bottle so um, I think it was also probably it was difficult organizing them based on you know contour because you know where you hit it changes that and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. so that was tough and also I think it was probably also really difficult for my roommate at the time to listen to me do that for hours a day just like hitting these empty glass bottles like I'm sure he probably wanted to move out I'm sure he was like so happy when we went home early for the for the you know for the pandemic he was probably like oh thank god <laughs> so yeah that's probably <laughs> my uh, <laughs> you know? my partner would know nothing about me hitting objects over and over and over again <laughs> into a microphone so I can get the right sample. Not at all. Yeah. Never yeah, ever. No, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it's probably a pretty foreign concept. For you, you know. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, never, never a better time to start than now. You yeah. Know, do it at all hours of the day. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Set, set an alarm for three 30 and you go for it. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, uh, it's, that's definitely, that's, that's the mood, right? <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a wonderful work that I, I found myself, uh, coming back to, I mean, uh, sandbox really nailed it out of the park. Um, and I think, I, I think I did attend the, the attend. I, I think I listened to the live stream concert that they did with it. Mm, thanks, man. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was no brainer. I, I, I pretty sure I did. If not, I went back and listened to it later, but yeah, yeah it, it's, um, Definitely. Is that, uh, you wrote that during, was that one of the work, first pieces you wrote during your, uh, time at Princeton? No, actually I wrote it, um, when I was at, at, uh, at Peabody and funnily oh. enough, like I wrote it, um, kind of as like a, uh, I was working on an orchestra piece at the time and, um, I needed a break from it. It wasn't really going the way I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided that I was going to try to write something totally different. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to distract myself with the percussion piece, get that out, you know, have some cathartic experience writing music. And then it ended up, it's become like one of my most performed pieces when I originally wrote it to be kind of like a throwaway thing. And unsurprisingly, that orchestra piece has never been played. So, you know, it's funny how that always works out where, you know, the piece, the piece that I thought was going to be the, the thing that I really worked on and dug into ended up not being much of anything and then the piece that i kind of th- wrote as a throwaway piece was uh definitely the better of the two so is that funny how know. that works sometimes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it's uh i it's always funny what um for me at least it's always funny what decides to inspire me i'm i'm never and i you know i'm not even surprised anymore where it's when all of a sudden um I get on a roll with something. I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah, I guess this is where I'm at. So yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. Yeah. laughs> I'm not going to fight yeah. it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've somehow landed here and I'm just going to stick here for a while. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I want to congratulate you 
one more time on your premiere at the CSO. Um, I think it's going to be phenomenal. I'm excited to attend. I think that's going to be a great concert to see you there. Yeah. The, I mean, like I said, the, including your, yourself, the, um, the line, the lineup, the, the program is, uh, pretty, pretty stacked. Roster. Yeah. The roster. <laughs> yeah. It's a real hall of famer this year. You know yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. Do you have, um, any closing comments, shout outs, um, anything you want to want to say before we wrap up here? Yeah. I think, uh, the only, you know, shout out that I would give, um, uh, would be to the, to the folks at Chai Arts, you know, again, who really sort of made this possible, made this opportunity, uh, possible for me, um, mm-hmm. way back in 2010. I don't know if, you know, anybody could have ever seen, nobody knows what the future is going to hold, but, uh, you know, I'm grateful that they were willing to sort of, uh, I guess, take a chance on me at the time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, the piece itself is, is dedicated to, uh, um, James W. Maybe, who was one of the founding members of shy arts who recently passed away and he was oh. also on the board of the chicago symphony so i remember at my at my graduation from uh from shy arts he said that he was looking forward to watching my career and uh, oh. sort of uh, sort of a shame that he's not able to be at you know, yeah. the sort of concert that i think would have would have been perfect but the piece yeah. is dedicated to his memory but you know so shout out to to him and yeah uh, to his memory and his legacy and you know hopefully uh hopefully this piece uh you know makes the rest of the rest of the people involved proud so yeah yeah um well i want to thank you for for coming on the show thanks for having me absolutely relatively short notice but um (laughs) uh, we made it work and um it's been great having you um this has been uh relevant tones my name is austin williams our guest today was elijah daniel smith he has a premiere with the chicago symphony orchestra on november 1st you know we never talked what's the name of your work Oh yeah. <laughs> that was never yeah. brought up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. What is the name? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, the piece is called, the piece is called Scions of an Atlas. Okay. Um, and the name sort of comes because the piece is just filled to the brim with multiphonics and different like sort of allusions to tuning systems and, you know, harmonic spectra, et cetera, et cetera. So like, sure. um, when I was writing the piece, I had a bunch of books, um, on, a, you know, multiphonics and, you know, all the things that I just mentioned, uh, just laid on the floor everywhere. Okay. Um, and it sort of reminded me of, you know, the way people used to have to like plot out their journeys using a bunch of different maps and atlases and stuff like that. So it sort of reminded me of, of that process and it sort of felt like the books became sort of descendants or scions of, of that sort of, you know, historical reality. Sure thing. Check out this work on November 1st, uh, at the CSO and we'll see you next time. Thanks.